0: I can see the fear and heartache Don't know where to turn anymore So I do
1: unto others Love my neighbor as I lock and bolt the door Quarantine It's like nothing you've seen It's
0: got the whole world running towards the river Trying to wash itself clean I hope that all is well As far as I can tell It might do us some good To spend some time healing ourselves Get where we used
1: to be Lord, what's this all me? Good morning, good morning, good morning, Cable Smith, welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, that is brand new stuff, Matt Moeller, Quarantine, the name of that one, good tune there, and when I first heard it, one of y'all sent me the link to to Matt, I actually wasn't familiar with his music, but uh, great uh, upcoming Texas singer-songwriter, anyway, I was like, oh, this is going to be some spoof on this just crappy time that we're all living through, but no, It's actually rather uplifting and and kind of inspires a sense of hope there for when this time does pass. Anyway, thanks for spending a part of your quarantine with me. Uh, There's no place I'd rather be, quarantine or not, than talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So I do appreciate it. We've got a great show lined up for you today, and I'm going to tell you all about it. So go ahead, pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old Stanley thermos that granddad passed down years ago. It's like mine, still got that mud caked on it from duck seasons come and gone. And so to kick things off today, we'll be joined by West Virginia native and passionate outdoorsman Jared Ballard, who recently had, well, to say a scare uh, would be a gross understatement, but an absolute nightmare in the turkey woods. Quite honestly, he's lucky to be alive. Um, Just another hunter's negligence almost cost him his life. And we will get into that here in just a bit. I think there's an important lesson to be heard um, relating to that situation. And then we will spend a couple segments with Texas Parks and Wildlife public land and private land hunting program leader, Justin Dreibelbiss. I've got some very pointed questions to ask Justin regarding the nilgai public hunt draw on the Laguna Atascosa National Wildlife Refuge. Somebody needs to answer for what's going on down there as um the USDA is is allowing the mass shooting out of he- out of helicopters of of the nilgai but Texas Parks Wildlife is still selling the same number of nilgai permits for the drawn hunt and many of you guys <laughs> Who've hunted the Laguna Atascosa Nilgai hunt have told me that you're not seeing any Nilgai. So who's responsible for this? The USDA has blown me off time and time again. They do not want to answer questions. They're kind of trying to hide it. If you want to know my honest opinion, and so I'll ask Justin what their relationship is with the USDA and the refuge. You know who's deciding how many Nilgai to take off. You know from a hunting perspective and then comparing that to the aerial gunning that's going on down there. Something's not adding up, and maybe Texas Parks and Wildlife has nothing to do with it, and Justin can, you know, absolve them completely here, but we'll try to get to the bottom of that, and then discuss President Trump's plan to open up over 2 million acres of federal wildlife refuge land to public hunting and fishing. Uh, This actually just came out amidst the pandemic that's going on, so certainly have to applaud uh, Trump and his administration for, I mean, who doesn't want more public hunting access, right? So we'll get into that, and then possibly whether or not Texas will ever shift from physical tags that you have to actually place on an animal to an online system like so many other states already have. I uh, will get Justin's take on that as well. So that's what's on the docket for today, going to be a good one. A uh, couple other things. Uh let's just actually let's just do a quick giveaway. I've got uh Lone Star Ag Credit hooked me up with a ton of stuff. And we'll give away a shotgun sleeve, protective sleeve for your 12 gauge, 20 gauge, 410, whatever. And then also a camo blind bag, a lone star ag credit pocket knife, and camo cap. So a uh, great prize pack from our friends over at Lone Star Ag Credit to enter today's giveaway. Just email the word turkey. That's Turkey to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, Hunter Jordan Ballard joins us to discuss his life and death struggle in the Turkey Woods right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Love runs true. And how I can always count on you. Be there when the bullets fly I'd run across a river just to hold you tonight. Hey guys, this is Jason Christian. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. So slow me still. Go out
2: and give on hell So slow so
1: Music up, the damn quails, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks to our title sponsor, Dallas Safari Club, as well as Lone Star Beer and Hawk Power Polaris. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here as we're about to talk a little turkey tragedy um, with West Virginia turkey hunter Jared Ballard. He'll be joining us momentarily to uh, give us the lowdown on a... Harrowing tale that he lived through here in the last couple weeks. Um, but before we do so, this segment of the show is brought to you by First Light's new Guide Light Short. It's uh, something that I had the pleasure of testing out on a Boundary Water canoe trip last year. And the Guide Light Short passed with flying colors, better than I ever would have expected. Perfect for warm weather, uh, fishing. Maybe you're the type of guy like myself who likes to go hog hunting in the spring and summer in shorts and snake boots. The guidelight's perfect for that as well. Uh if you want to sport it to the bar, you know, post coronavirus, it's versatile enough to uh, to look good there as well. It's the guidelight short. You can find it at firstlight.com. Firstlight go further, stay longer. Um, with that being said, let's bring on our first guest here today. Uh, to be quite frank, he's lucky to be here talking with us after what happened to him in the Turkey Woods uh, Easter weekend, it is my pleasure to welcome Jared Ballard to the show.
3: Good to be here, buddy. It is my pleasure. So, first of all, man, how how are you feeling?
2: Uh, I'm feeling better. I've got some uh, sort in my face and my my neck, but considering the circumstances, I'm, I'm doing pretty good.
3: Man, I, I'm certainly glad that you are feeling better. Like I told you off the air, my, my taxidermist sent me a link to your Facebook post. But before we get into your accident, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself as far as where you live and, and what you enjoy pursuing in the great outdoors.
2: Well, I'm, uh, I've been, I'm from West Virginia. I've been West Virginia resident all my life, except for the four years that I was uh, stationed in North Carolina. I was in the Marine Corps for
3: four years. Well, thanks and, for your um, service.
2: Well, I really appreciate that. If, if it walks in West Virginia I'm hunting it, I mean I, I absolutely love being up by and hunting. it's um, uh, like today I am starting young. Uh it's open day turkey season here, so but I really enjoy uh guess out of everything I, I really enjoy you know, grouse hunting. I've got two German short hairs that I uh, chase grouse with all the time and I, I love hunting rough grouse there with my dog.
3: Oh nice. So I didn't even realize you guys had a lot of grouse in in uh, West Virginia.
2: Um, we do, it's, on a decline right now, kind of, but we do have, uh, we do have grouse, but they're, they're few and far between. I I think I'm averaging right now about a bird a mile. I think I flushed, I think I was 230 something there a year before last. And, uh, I think I killed 34 off my dogs, but, uh, yeah, it's a good time. I just like getting out and walking.
3: Yeah. Well, the only grouse hunting I get to do is when I head out west, um, New Mexico, and most of it's when I'm chasing elk. They're just a uh, you know uh, opportunistic deal where I see a grouse and got a bow and arrow, and it's like, oh, this year would beat another mountain house meal if I had some fresh grouse oh, to eat tonight. <laughs> right, absolutely,
2: absolutely.
3: <laughs> yeah, have, done, have actually have done a couple trips um, where we actually went out with shotguns, grouse hunting. I, I, I lied, I forgot. Have done that a couple times in New Mexico. Those are mostly blue grouse, though. Um, right. I did get a rough grouse with my bow in Montana uh, elk hunting this past year. No elk, but hey, at least you got a grouse, right? <laughs> yeah,
2: absolutely, man. Anything helps.
3: Spruce grouse. That's the other one that uh, I got up there. Right. Well, very cool. So enjoy upland hunting with your dogs. Um, love grouse. It's, it's tough to beat as far as table fare is concerned. But on April 11th, I think it was, you were practicing social distancing by hitting the turkey woods. Now, were you hunting by yourself, or do you typically go with a buddy?
2: Um, no, well, I was actually with a uh, buddy from work. Um, we both work at the federal prison here
1: uh, where we live,
2: but I, I'd say probably 80% of the time I'm hunting by myself usually. And just so happened my buddy wanted to tag along with me that day. He actually wasn't uh, hunting himself he was actually just with me uh-huh. he just wanted to get out and uh because our west virginia season didn't open till the 20th here so he just actually wanted to get out and go walking with me there but it was it was luckily he was with me i actually had a buddy with me that day
3: mm. and so you're walking in on public land
2: yes we was, on, we was on public land
3: okay i think in in your facebook post you mentioned that it was in virginia because the season opened there earlier is that why you mentioned that
2: Yep, we went to Virginia because it opened up. Uh, it opened up there at eleven on the eleventh, uh-huh. wound up opening up here on the twentieth.
3: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And so you walked in on public land. Were you guys getting in, uh, into any birds that day?
2: Uh, no, not really. Um, we had got on a few that morning, but that was all. On, we had heard some that morning on roost, and but they was all. Across the river on West Virginia side, but we was actually uh, still on the Virginia border there, and we was just enjoying the morning. It was a uh, it was just a picture perfect morning, and we was just we was sitting on the old dead uh, pine tree that morning. I remember, and just listening to him over there on the West Virginia side, just wishing that was over there on our side. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was just it was one of picture perfect morning.
3: So, so what happened exactly leading up to you getting shot?
2: Well, we, like I said, the morning was uh, was quite slow on our side. We had walked down for the, the New River out a couple miles, and uh, we, yeah, the morning was, uh, it was cold that morning. It was about 30, well, no, when I got to gate, I looked at the thermometer in the truck, and it was 25 degrees. Oh, wow. And, you know how it is. You can't hardly dress for it because you're moving and then you're sitting and you're moving and there's just no, there's no happy medium in between it. And I usually get pretty cold pretty easy. So we kept moving, kept walking around the new river and uh, got to a point and I think it was, uh, we had walked five miles and we turned back around to go back toward the truck to see if we could strike a burn up and The sun was beating down there on this one ridgetop and we just sat down by, by the trail to, uh, just to get some sun and take a break. And while we did that, my, my buddy Ben, he took his call out and, uh, he actually struck a bird right straight up above us on the ridgetop, directly above where we were sitting at. Hmm. So we sat there about 20 minutes and, uh, bird never came back down. So we formulated a plan. We figured that. We would go back about, I don't know, I think it was about 150, 200 yards. We'd go back, we would go back two ridges, and we would cut up the mountaintop to see if we couldn't cut, cut the bird off hmm. up here. So we went up there, got up to the top, and no bird. It was big, beautiful, flat up there. It, it had never been timbered up there. It was just wide open as you can possibly see, hmm. and it got to a point where um, my buddy, I remember my buddy saying, he said, "It's been over an hour since we heard that that bird gobble." He's like, "What do you want to do?" So I just told him, I said, "Well, we're on this bench right here, and we've still got to go back to the truck. Let's just walk this ridge top out, and if we would happen to hear a bird gobble, we still got you know the uphill advantage on it." So that's what we did. We walked out. We probably walked out another, I would say, uh, probably maybe 500 yards. There was a big, massive oak tree, and he said, let me sit down here real quick. Let me get a drink for you. real quick while we're waiting. So that's what we did. We sat down there for another 20 minutes or so and never heard another bird, never heard nothing. Kept on walking. We, oh, I got up, and we walked out and got walked down a little saddle, like a little drainage saddle come off mm-hmm. the mountain, and I topped that gut right there, and I remember there was three pine trees that was laying down, and I crossed those three pine trees, and I took maybe about another three or four steps, and I just remember, I remember the shot going off, and I had, I just blacked out, I remember a bunch of pressure in my face, it like a hammer hit me in the face mm. and as was i was going down i remember thinking to myself i thought my gun had actually went off somehow i didn't know how it went i just i was so confused when what had happened that i, I for whatever reason i thought my gun had went off because i had a shoulder yeah and that that's when i got shot that that's when i when i, when I came to was when of course is when i realized i got shot yeah.
1: Man, so you've been shot at this point. You don't know how. Uh, We are going to work in a quick break. I know it's kind of a tease. Things are starting to get good. And, uh, Jared, after the break, we'll find out what exactly happened, discuss the extent of your injuries, and the lesson to be learned here. Sound good?
0: Absolutely, buddy.
1: Excellent. And that segment was brought to you by Stealth Cam. Check out the – either you can get it in AT&T or Verizon. They've got wireless cameras for each, depending on – which provider offers better cell coverage at your ranch or lease. Perfect for scouting. Um, I've got mine set up to feed me photos hourly. You can set it on instant, you can set it on uh, twice daily, whatever. But the technology, truly an amazing management tool. Um, I mean, I'm really enjoying knowing when the hogs are showing up at the feeder every day. It's awesome. And you can find all of Stealth Cam's models right there at StealthCam.com. We'll continue our discussion with turkey hunter Jared Ballard after the break on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
2: Take me home
0: to the place I belong, West Virginia, mountain
2: mama. Take me home, country
3: roads.
1: I know, I know, so cliche, little John Denver Country Roads, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm Cable Smith, and we are visiting with West Virginia Hunter jared ballard we're going to continue on with his story he's he knows he's been shot in the turkey woods has no idea what happened we're going to find out exactly how that played out and the extent of his injuries being rushed to the hospital all of that coming up here in just a second this segment by the way brought to you by lone star ag credit you know land that's the one thing they're not making any more of but we all want it so if you're ready to take that plunge and make that dream a reality, then give Lone Star Ag Credit a shout. You can find them at lonestaragcredit.com. And with that being said, we're going to pick it back up with Jared, who, you know, you you left off where you'd been shot, you hit the deck, you blacked out for a second, and you came to. But but I want to know, like, as you and your buddy were walking through the woods, were you making calls and and talking turkey or, or just walking through the woods quietly?
2: We was walking and talking like buddies do in the woods. We was having a good old time. and
3: Not talking turkey, though. Like We wasn't
2: talking no turkey or nothing like that. We hadn't made a call in probably, I would say, 45 minutes or so. Yeah, he just, I, I don't know what in the world the guy was thinking, but we wasn't talking no turkey, wasn't doing nothing like that. We was talking amongst each other. He was about two, I would say he was probably about a foot and a half or two feet behind me is what he told me after after it was all said and done. Huh.
3: Wow. And your and your buddy did not get shot at all.
2: No, thank God. He he didn't get one pellet in him. I don't know how, but he 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 came out unscathed. Thank God.
3: And so once you come to Jared, what I mean, what is the other what the guy that shot you? What is he doing? And and what are you, are you yelling at him? What what's going on at that point?
2: Well. When I came to, I picked myself up with my hands. I was still on my hands and knees. I picked myself up, and my gun was laying on the ground. And I was just trying to gather in my mind what had happened. I had no idea. There was a thousand things running in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I just remember blood, like a river of blood coming off my face, off above my eyebrow and above.
3: Your face looks pretty rough, by the way, based off that one photo I saw.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was bad. It uh, it it was just coming off my my nose. It was just a big river coming off my nose. I was just, I told I reached over, looked over at my friend Ben. He was still on the ground. I had only blacked out for I guess a couple seconds because he was still on the ground. And I looked over at him. I said, "Ben, I've been shot." And he said, "What?" And he looked at me. He says, "Oh my God!" So at that point, that's when he started yelling. And waving his hand and telling the guy, hey, stop, and load your gun, there's people up here. And the guy, he he stood up and he said, oh my God, he said, I've been doing this for 26, 26 or 27 years. Hmm. And he says, I've never done that before. <laughs> and
3: I'm sure that made you feel so much better.
2: Yeah, my, my <laughs> buddy, you know, he's mad, of course. He's telling that guy. He said, "No." He said, uh, "You've never done that before because you've only got lucky at this point. That's the only reason you've done that." He said, "What was you thinking? What, what, what in the world's going on?" And at, at all at the same time, I'm still in the same spot trying to, to, to figure out how bad it is because my left whole, my left side of my face was numb. Yeah. And I thought maybe my teeth had been knocked out. And I'm checking my teeth and I'm, I'm checking my head because I knew, I knew that a piece of my head was going to be missing. I just knew because I, I could not feel my head. And as much blood as I was losing, I figured something had to be missing. Oh, my God. Thank God nothing was missing. And all at the same time, he's down there arguing with that dude, trying to, to get his information and to get his uh, license. Well, finally, I picked myself up and picked my gun up. And I go back down to my buddy Ben. and I give him my gun. I said, you want to take this? And I remember sitting... I leaned up against the tree while they was he was getting the information and there was just blood just pouring off my head. And uh, I was thinking to myself, There's still I've still got a mile and a half to two miles to the truck. I said, I'm not gonna make it. I said, This is this is probably where I'm probably meant to die. And my God. I finally just told him I, I told my friend, I said, Man, we gotta go, man. I said, We've we've gotta get to the truck So, um he got wind up getting into Virginia and he's watched a picture of his West Virginia life, uh, hunting license and a picture of his Virginia hunting license. And we take off, put down the truck. He helps me. We're on a big steep bridge top and, uh, we get going down a hill. And Ben, he, he's asking me, how it, can you see? He just kept asking me, can you see? Are you good? I said, yeah. And we get down to the road and I'm, uh, I'm actually like coughing up blood at this point. So, I tell him, I said, I, Ben, I think I've been hitting lungs. I said, I'm, I'm coughing up blood. So we look, and there's nothing. There's nothing. No blood on my chest. There's nothing like that. I'm good. And He said, There's something else is going on. We just got to figure out what's going on. We, we got to get to the truck. And uh, we walk to the truck. By the grace of God, we get back to the truck. And uh, I, I had done called my wife, and or. My buddy, we get about 500 yards from the gate from where we parked the truck, and my buddy's like, you're going to have to go ahead and call your wife. And I was already dreading it because you know how women are. I knew that she was going to freak out, which she had every right to be. And I called her. I said, I need you to meet me at the hospital. And I said, I've been shot. And she said, uh, I joke around with her a lot. Nothing about like that." But for whatever reason, she said, are you joking or are you you being serious? I said, I'm being serious. I said, I need you to go to the hospital. I've been shot. And, of course, she starts freaking out. And then she just so happened to be with my mom at the time. And then my mom's freaking out. Well, in the meantime, they, we get to the truck. I service was little spotty up there. And uh, we get to the truck, and they, we take off. And uh, I get a strange call from a number, and it's actually the uh, EMPs, They the 911 center. They had already called an ambulance my wife and my mom had. Hmm. And they was... Meeting us. they was wanting to meet us somewhere. Well, mine and Ben's thoughts were we were so far back in there that the ambulance would have never been able to get to us because we was already thirty minutes from the hospital mm-hmm. down the dirt road, and we figured they'd never make it. So, luckily, we meet them halfway, and uh, I get in the ambulance. Well, my oxygen had bottomed out as a lot. It's a good thing that they had they had called because my oxygen. up, It hit rock bottom, I guess, where I'd lost so much blood. Hmm. Shock of it all, I guess. I don't know. And that's when they decided to life wipe me um, to Charleston, West Virginia. So, yeah, I wound up spending a night there and a day, and uh, they released me. And I'm I'm just lucky to be here. It could have been so much worse.
3: So how far away was he when he shot you, do you think?
2: Yeah, the DNR, they had called me there uh, the following day. And the DNR wound up telling me um, that it was 29 yards hmm. is how far he was when he shot me. My buddy had wound up actually going back, and they recreated the scene. I think it was a total of like six West Virginia DNR and six or seven Virginia uh, fishing game. And uh, actually, two West Virginia State Police actually went back up there hmm. and uh Took pictures, evidence, and all that good stuff uh, of the scene, and they they actually measured where I was standing. at. I dropped the, a uh, they had, they couldn't find that my buddy had only been there for once, and they couldn't find exactly where we we was at. So they actually went up they had a dog up there that they had turned loose, and he had found my striker and a uh, a call that had actually fell out of my vest and all the blood and stuff. Hmm. So they they wound up figuring out where I was standing at, luckily, and where the guy was sitting at.
3: Wow. And so you mentioned in your Facebook post if he'd have been using a suitable turkey load, it might have been even worse for you.
2: Yeah. Um, The guy, he was actually shooting, uh, I put the first word I had got in the hospital that I had been shot with number four, but it was uh, finally talking to DNR there, they sort of things out there. Uh, He shot me with a uh, Remington two and three quarter uh, five shot is what he wound up shooting me with, and I think if it would have been a three inch copper plated, you know, these long beards or heaven forbid that TSS, I'd, I, I wouldn't have been here today. And it, especially with these up, uh, you know, these turkey guns that people, oh you know, yeah. people use, people them now. And I shoot, my,
3: uh, I, I shoot Kent uh, Kent cartridge um, tungsten turkey loads. I mean, that thing. There's no, there's no way that wouldn't have killed you.
2: No, it, I shoot a uh, Remington 20 gauge, 870, with TSS, and that it's a killer out of 50, 55 yards. I mean, it, yeah, it yeah. kill me nothing flat. He, the the man was uh about, I think he was 68 years old, and he was uh he was using a Harrington and Richardson's uh, 12 gauge single shot, just the fit full choke, nothing crazy. So that's one thing it that that saved me also. I think is just it was some dumbed down stuff and I it, it luckily it just didn't have no, no oomph to it.
3: Yeah. But still what was the extent of your injuries?
2: Um, I actually I have one above my about a half inch well, probably about an inch above my left eye. Yeah. Um one went in right there.
3: That's what looks like the goose um, egg on your forehead on that picture.
2: Yeah, I think still swelled up like crazy. Yeah. Um I've got one that actually went through my nose. Um, it went ruptured my sinus cavity went all the way through my sinus cavity and buried up uh, that there's some tissue right before your spine that I guess that coats the spine or something and it lodged up in that tissue right before my spine hmm. so it barely barely stopped just enough just in time God. um I have one above my right ear uh, that actually uh, it went through my hat and hit my Top of my right ear, right above my top of my right ear, it took some hair off my head, and uh, I think I took uh, about three, three to the groin. I mean, right on the shaft. I took three right there that actually just peppered me. It didn't, uh, it didn't actually like penetrate. And I had one on my thigh.
3: This guy and clearly never hold. patterned his shotgun either. I mean, that, he's all over the place.
2: Oh, it, it was absolutely just ridiculous. Um, I actually had another one hit my thigh too. They just peppered my thigh. Huh. And I had a, I think I had maybe three or four that I can find in my turkey vest holes that actually hit my turkey vest too. And uh, but that was about the extent of it. I, I'm just extremely blessed. I think that they said that there was a uh, there was a limb like I I think they said it was like ten or fifteen yards away, and they said that that limb. Had actually took a pretty good bit of the load. Hmm. I guess we probably either slowed it down enough or deflected some of it. Luckily, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it it was just crazy all
3: the way around. My God, dude, this is uh, well, number one, glad that you're still here. We can have this conversation. And number two, when I when I sent you the message on Facebook, I, you know, some people don't want to talk about something tragic that happens to them, and that's totally understandable. So I asked you and. You're like, no, I think there's a lesson here. I mean, you have to know what you're shooting at. This, you're lucky to be here. This guy clearly had no idea what he was shooting at. He just saw a movement and pointed the gun and shot you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's what I was wanting to – that's why I shared it on Facebook because if I could save one life or just open somebody's eyes, I mean, the guy told me when we were standing up there, he said, I had heard he, my buddy being asking. him, he said, what were you doing? What, why were you shooting? And he said that – he had heard a hen over there um, about ten to fifteen minutes before he had shot me. Well, I mean, you can't shoot hens anyway, so I don't know why <laughs> right. you thought that was a good idea. And two, I think that he was just—he seen movement. I think he was—we was hunting a flat, or he was hunting a flat, and we was walking that bench. And I think that. He was right on the edge of that flat, and as soon as my head crested over that plane is when I think he took a shot, and then I wound up getting the rest of it, like in my chest and stuff, where it deflected off that limb or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But that's my honest opinion. I don't know what he really did, but I know that he's changed his story three or four times. First, it was he told us that we was in there sneaking around, and we shouldn't have been, is what he told me after that uh after he had shot me and he said, well, there's a hen over there. He said, y'all shouldn't have been sneaking around in there anyway. <laughs> well, then he wound up telling the DNR officer, uh, a couple of days later, I think after they got his statement, uh, or that actually that following day, because the, uh, troopers actually caught him actually as he was driving home. They got a bolo out for the vehicle. I took a picture of his vehicle out the gate and sent it to my buddy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they wanted to catch him before he got home, but he had said that he had shot at a gobbler that was fanned out. On that ridge top, and he had—I guess I was just in behind the gobbler and wound up getting hit. And now it's changed to he just—he's owned up to it. Thankfully, mm. so it, it's just.
3: So what does that mean I, I for him? Know. Like I—I I don't know. When you shoot someone on, a, I mean, it was an accident, but it was an accident, you know, caused by just pure negligence uh, on his part. Legally, does he pay for your medical bills? or I don't know how any of that plays out. Does he lose his own license?
2: I know that the DNR officer told me yesterday, they called me. Uh, Virginia's DNR, they've been on point. They've called me every day, checking up on me and uh, giving me updates and stuff. And they said that uh, they've actually actually—they're—they charged him with negligent discharge of a firearm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess negligent uh, negligent misuse of a firearm, I think there's two of them, something along those lines. And they said that uh, he'll more than likely lose his license for how long, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but they said that court wouldn't be till like until the end of August is when they've got it set for. They've done serving his warrant or his subpoena or whatever you call it uh, for the end of August. And they said that due to COVID, that they don't know really when
1: yeah. it
2: would be. They said it would possibly be in the September. So mm. I've had so many people contact me and message me and and reach out to me and say, my my uncle got shot and my, my dad got shot and I lost my dad and my brother, and this is and that. And there has not been one good good ending to any of those stories. It seems like the, the person that shoots, nothing ever happens to them. It's sad, is what it is. I mean, granted, it was an accident. He probably didn't mean to do it, but you also, he, he, he did it. And you don't just shoot at anything you see. And I think that you, like anything, I think that there should be consequences. I mean, the guy almost literally, I was inches away. So I think I thought it would have been another two or three steps. I think it would have penetrated my head and possibly killed me.
3: Yeah. And
2: it's just like my dad said yesterday. If you want to kill somebody, he said, I guess the best place for it would be in the woods because, he said clearly nothing nothing will happen so.
3: yeah well that is a, a unfortunate situation all the way around with the silver lining of that you're here today having this conversation with me dude I, I you're did you already say earlier that you were back in the turkey woods
2: today was our uh opener april 20th and uh i actually went today i uh, my neck's still stoved up and i really can't do much uh dad's got a crossbow I was going to take it and I finally just decided to to leave it at home and I actually went with my buddy this morning I just just started walking with him Hmm. and uh we heard a bunch of birds this morning and got on a couple just didn't work out we finally got on one there about 11 o'clock and my buddy missed one about 20 yards so but it was a good time I was just happy to be there I'm happy to to be alive and happy to see something (laughs) you know be seeing stuff because I it could have very well put blinded me
3: yeah well, I, I hope that uh, that you have a good rest of the turkey season, that you continue to heal. Are they going to, I guess they just leave that pellet in there close to your spine, or is there some kind of surgery you're going to have to have?
2: The three that's in me, they're just going to go ahead and leave it in me. They said that it would form like a cyst around the the pellet, uh-huh. and it shouldn't give me any more problems, Okay. hopefully. So I'm just, I am don't have no sense of smell or anything right now, but I'm hoping to gain that back where my sinus cavities, I'm still bleeding out of my is pretty good, but uh, considering mm-hmm. overall I'm pretty good, they just they said just to keep an eye out on it, and
3: that's it. Oh man, well, I certainly appreciate the time, man. Thanks for jumping on here and, and sharing your story, and hope that you, uh, you fill all your tags this spring.
2: Uh, I absolutely appreciate it. I appreciate your time, buddy.
3: All right, take care, Jared.
2: You too, buddy. Thank you.
1: So there he goes. Jared Ballard will continue to wish him a speedy recovery from that ordeal. Glad to see that he's already back in the turkey woods uh, just, what, 10 days later after the accident. That's impressive. Admire the dedication. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar's new Thermion Thermal Rifle Scope. It's got the diverse color palette option uh, plus internal recording, which you then just plug the scope into your computer and download all your footage. Um, all the other amazing features that you've come to love from Pulsar as well. And you'll get 20% off your purchase of a new Thermion or any of Pulsar's thermal or night vision optics. When you use my promo code Lone Star, when checking out at PulsarNV.com. Up next, we check in with Texas Parks and Wildlife's private land and public hunting program leader, Justin Dreibelbis. We discuss COVID-19's impact on state agencies, deciding whether or not to close spring hunting seasons. Also, President Trump's plan to open up over 2 million acres of federal wildlife refuge property to hunting. We'll get into that next on the Lone Star Outdoor show. British Columbia is world renowned for its beauty and wildlife, and Vancouver Island is revered as a magical place by hunters. Vancouver Island Coastal Bear Adventures specializes in taking mature trophy black bears with 18 inch minimum skulls in the six and a half to seven and a half year range. They also have Roosevelt elk tags and only take Boone and Crockett bulls each fall. 60% of their guiding area is located on private land. So whether you're looking for a Boone or Black Bear, once in a lifetime Roosevelt elk, or a giant cougar, they've got the hunt for you. Visit VancouverIslandBearHunt.com to book your hunt today. That's VancouverIslandBearHunt.com.
0: Howdy, folks. I'm Lee for Hoffman for Hoffman's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffman's, once again,
1: the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it, watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit bobcatofdallas.com today. There ain't nothing in the world like earning these stripes. They're getting put out of work when the price ain't right. Yeah, I left
0: my soul, my pain and my strife. Oh, the old filled holes are filled with my life. So I'll send a card from Christmas
1: and birthday. Smith, yeah. welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Oil Man, the name of that one, from the Chad Cook Band. It's uh maybe not such a great time to be an oil man, though, to be honest. I've got quite a few friends in the oil industry, and whew, they are hurting, hurting, hurting. Uh, oil actually had a negative value per barrel this past week. I don't know if y'all saw that, but yeah, uh, they're just producing so much oil still, and they're running out of places to put it because... America's oil consumption is down 50 percent. People are staying home. they're not driving. Uh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. But it'll all get sorted out here eventually, uh, that we can hang our hats on and hopefully sooner rather than later because I don't mind paying three dollars for gas. Uh, if it means the economy is functioning at full tilt, then man, we're all better for it. Um, I do want to say thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor as well as Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players, this segment of the show brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12-pack as you're on your way to socially distance at the turkey lease this spring, and remember, celebrate tagging that big old long beard responsibly with an ice-cold Lone Star Beer, or three. Well, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. He is the Texas Parks and Wildlife private land and public hunting program leader it is my pleasure to welcome Justin Dreibelbiss back to the show. Yeah, glad to be here.
3: It's been a couple of years. I honestly, uh, I don't remember what we talked about last time, but I imagine it had something to do with uh, public hunting in Texas.
0: I, I, I think it, was. it uh, was. A few years back, I, I, I want to say it was when we were early on in our online-only drone hunt system and kind of talking about updates about that. But it uh, right. continues to do well and excited to be back to, to talk about it some more
3: absolutely so is most of uh, texas parks and wildlife staff working from home these days or is headquarters still up and functioning in austin you
0: know headquarters is still is still functioning but the vast majority of people are working from home definitely taking the the stay-at-home orders seriously and uh but but still trying to to provide all the services that we're you know required to to provide as a as a state agency so we're um, definitely working hard to, to make it business as usual, but we do have uh, a lot of folks working from home these days.
3: And this time of year, what is your, I mean, what's your job description typically like?
0: So I'm the director of our private lands and public hunting program. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, we've got a, definitely got a lot of moving parts within, within my program. Um, but one of the things that's keeping us busy right now is really planning for next hunting season. Uh, we're at the very tail end of our public hunting season with only about nine or 10 public turkey hunts left on the books for this year.
2: Um, we do have some
0: walk-in opportunity through our annual public hunting permit program uh, in, in some kind of far-reaching areas of the state. But, but generally speaking, we are, are uh, really kind of wrapping up the public hunting season. Um, we're taking actual public hunting proposals from our, all of our public hunting areas right now to enter them into the draw system for this next year and that will go live early in July.
3: And that's when the applications are open?
0: Uh, yes, that's right. Okay. We'll we'll go ahead and roll that open. Starts in July and uh, we'll draw through. Uh, we'll actually start drawing there early August and we'll draw through um, kind of the end of October.
3: Okay. Well, you know, this show originally started out on one Texas radio station. Now we have a pretty good network and uh, people from all over the country tune in. And so for, for them, um, do we get a lot of non-residents applying for our draw our and hunt system in Texas? And, and if so, what are the most popular or most attractive uh, draw and hunts for, for non-residents?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um... So I, we get it fairly often about uh, one of the questions we get fairly often is that uh, why don't you make a non-resident application more expensive uh, like other states do? Uh, which and I think it's a fair question, but honestly, shoot, I paid a thousand
3: dollars for an elk and mule deer combo tag in Montana this year.
0: I I know, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm the same way. I end up doing quite a bit out of state hunting, and so I see it um, I see it very clearly in other states but but really the data is pretty interesting and uh it really kind of self-limits right now we're at uh i want to say we're somewhere between four and six percent non-resident applications that Mm -hmm. come through our system um it ends up once we once the drawings are done every year that really kind of shakes out about the same as far as how many people are drawn for all of our all of our, um, public hunts. And we drew, I'm going to say we drew somewhere around 9,000, a little over 9,000 permits this last year. Hmm. And we're, we're right there around 4% non-residents or something like that. So it really shakes out pretty close. Um, our non-residents are paying a higher license fee, um, than residents are like most other states. And so really it kind of shakes out like that. Um, as far as popular hunts go, um, we get a lot of calls, um, honestly about feral hogs, uh, for non-residents. It's a, it's a hmm. species, while we consider it a major nuisance here, um, on private land and public land. Um, so, you know, out of staters are, are uh, you know, keenly interested in hunting feral hogs, um, which, you know, come on, um,
3: yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll,
0: we'll take, we'll take them all for sure. Um, but it, of course, you know, kind of some of our big name areas that are uh, traditionally kind of big deer areas, um, you know, some uh, chaparral wildlife management Area is oh, yeah. one of them, uh, uh, Kerr wildlife management area, um, some exotic species. Of course, you know, we usually have one desert bighorn tag in the, in our draw system in the general draw. And so we get a lot of people that put in for that understandably. Um, so, I mean, those are kind of some of the big ones um yeah. but yeah they're they're definitely interested uh, i figured
3: maybe alligator would have been one that was attractive to the out of yeah
0: yeah not too many places um that you can hunt alligators so that that's definitely one
3: mm-hmm. um well one thing i really wanted to discuss today is how texas parks and wildlife works with u.s fish and wildlife on an you know like on a national wildlife refuge, for example, take the Laguna Atascosa. Um, like, what is what is your working relationship with them, if there is one? Because I know, going back to the draw hunt system, um, you know, you guys facilitate the draw for you know deer, no guy, every all of the drawn hunts that take place on the Laguna Atascosa. So, how does how do you guys interact with with the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service on you know? A professional relationship?
0: Sure yeah um, I, at first I would say our, our relationship with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as far as public access is, is really strong. Um, I started in January of 2015 in my current position and I started getting emails and phone calls from different refuge staff around the state pretty much immediately Uh, Because that was about a year after we went to our online draw system, and they took notice very quickly that 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 was a pretty slick system, um, added a lot of efficiencies to our operation, and they were interested in in how they could participate. Um, We started those conversations in 2015, and by the 16-17 season, we had three or four refuges in the draw system. And basically, the way that 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 works is that they go ahead and tell us how many permits Mm
3: -hmm. they want
0: drawn for each one of their hunts on each refuge. We go ahead and conduct that drawing. We collect the revenue for those permits and then we provide a win list to that actual refuge. And then once the once the season's over, we go ahead and write the refuge a check for those permit fees. Mm. And then then it's actually a pretty good system there at the refuges. They're actually able to take I want to say it's about 80% of that permit revenue and put it directly back onto that refuge, which is a pretty great system in my yeah. mind. Um, so really that's it. As far as wildlife management um, activities or recommendations, We, Parks and Wildlife has nothing to do with wildlife management decisions made on those refuges. We simply draw hunters for those hunts, collect permit revenue, and then actually write a check for that permit revenue. To the refugees
3: at the end of the season. I doubt this is something that's like unique between Texas parks and Wildlife and US Fish and Wildlife Service like it seems like a lot of state agencies agencies um, would want to be doing the same thing if they're not they, they certainly could take note of what of, of how you guys have have uh, come up with this mutually beneficial relationship.
0: Yeah, um, I I think it does happen in some other states. It's been a really good relationship for us. I think both ways, and for Texas hunters too, Um, it 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 adds more hunts into one centralized location. Mm -hmm. That a Texas hunter doesn't have to go very far to find all the hunting opportunities that there are. Um, From Fish and Wildlife Service perspective, it's added amazing efficiencies I, I know uh, personally I drew a nilgai guy tag at lower Rio Grande refuge a number of years ago and it was a it was a drawn-out process of you know sending permits and uh, money orders back and forth and it, it was kind of a long drawn-out process and I know uh, that it had to take a lot of staff time for them to actually conduct that process mm-hmm. and so now they're able to tell us hey draw you know 100 permits over four hunts and send us a win list and that's basically all there is to it Then they conduct the hunt and so um, it's it saved amaz- an amazing amount of staff time for them um, and then they're able to you know actually get that money at the end of the season and put it directly onto the refuge so it, it's it's worked well
3: well you mentioned nil guy and, and that's kind of what sparks my interest in this conversation and this relationship um, and there's a third party involved here which we'll discuss but I, I keep getting complaints from hunters who have put in for a nilguy hunt on, say, the Lagoon Atascosa specifically over the years. And and they've been drawn here over the last, let's say, two to three years and are seeing less nilguy. And then they send me a link to an article where the uh, USDA, the third party, is shooting Nilgai out of helicopters and then selling the meat to exotic butchers or, or distributors, um, which I don't have a problem with that, right? And they're, they're doing it in the name of the, the cattle fever tick. Um, that's that's everything that I've, you know, all the information that I've gathered is that that's why they're shooting them, but then they're selling them. Um, I don't have a problem with that, but I don't see the number of permits that they are issuing on the drawn hunt system going down. So that's why I think hunters... Are getting ticked off about that, and rightfully so. And you guys aren't the ones that are taking the money. I mean, you are, but you're, you know, redistributing it to um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service ultimately. What are your What are your thoughts on that?
0: You know, C- Cable. I, you know, all I can really say on that, being that we have you know, nothing to do with with wildlife management recommendations um, on refuges, is is that um, you know exotic species like nil guy um, can certainly be a, a challenge to manage numbers on and cow fever tick is, is definitely a big issue in South Texas. Um, and so it, it's, uh, I, w- I would say that it's probably a very challenging subject to handle yeah. uh, for the, for the refuge. Uh, but beyond that, I, we're just not involved at all. And so I, I'm you know, just really can't, Can't speak on. Yeah, well, and this uh, is this
3: is something that you know our listeners need to hear because these they're the ones that are, you know, by and large whether they're followers on social media or they listen to the show regularly, they're the ones who've been venting frustration. Um, So just to be clear, Texas Parks and Wildlife has nothing to do with that. Um, And my personal frustration is with USDA because, like I told you off the air, I've sent well, originally contacted the refuge, and then they sent me, you know, they're like, well, the USDA is the one that is doing that. And so I guess they ultimately have the say there. Um, And the USDA has been pretty much not interested in having a conversation with me about it at all. And, uh, you know, countless emails got one response and then just pretty much blown off, which, you know, every time I call Texas Parks and Wildlife or send an email to you guys, no matter what the topic is, you're someone is always open to have that conversation. Whether it's positive or if, if I have concerns, you guys always get out in front of it. And so to me, it's been really frustrating for a uh, you know an organization like USCA, which I believe provides a service to the public. I mean, they work for us. Uh, the fact that they don't want to talk about it, I find just uh, you all always are open for the conversation, and they're just not. I find that weird. So.
0: I certainly understand the question, and, uh, you know, if, it, if it's something that, you know, comes up at Parks and Wildlife, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll certainly address it, but, you know, as of right now, we, we haven't had any involvement in that.
3: Yeah. Um, well, let's do this. I do want to, I want to continue the conversation and uh, discuss, you know, hunting today in this incredibly different world than we knew two months ago. Uh, so, are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Good deal. And that segment brought to you by the Vortex Fury HD range finding binocular. I've told y'all I'm kind of a minimalist. I don't like taking extra gear into the field. So in certain situations, where you can combine a range finder and a great binocular, why the hell wouldn't you want to do that? It's the Vortex Fury HD, and you can find it at vortexoptics.com. We'll be right back with more from Texas Parks and Wildlife's Justin Dribblebis on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
3: So I went to the movies with my little Peggy Sue. I had my dipther in my lip just like I always do. She didn't know I was spittin' in my Coca-Cola cup. She took a great big swaller and then threw her popcorn up. Whoa! Copenhagen, what a water flavor. Copenhagen, you can see well, Robert it Robert O'Keefe,
1: Copenhagen, bringing Cope us back on Hagen. the Lone Star. Do Outdoor show, Cable Smith cheese. here with you today. To Dallas Safari Club, wild. our title sponsor. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. Also, shout out to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Man, speaking of Copenhagen, it's been about six years since my last dip. Brother and I made a, uh, this is totally not related to anything, but except that song made me think of it, uh, my brother Jansen and I made this bet. Once we started having kids, we were on a backpacking trip, grouse hunting uh, expedition to New Mexico, and I had a one-year-old son, and he had a six-month-old daughter, and we were like, why are we dipping? So we just uh, made a gentleman's bet, 100 bucks, to see who could go the longest, and that was over six years ago. Neither one of us have had a dip since. And So if I can do it, you can do it. I don't think I was really addicted, but, man, I like to do it when I was... Hunting or fishing, no more though. Uh, This segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I am a proud member. I'd like to invite you to become a member as well. Uh, DSC is passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. For more info, check us out at biggame.org. We've still got some interesting stuff to get into with Texas Parks and Wildlife private and public land hunting program leader, Justin Dreibelbiss, and we're going to do that now. Justin, thanks for sticking around, man.
3: Yeah, same here. Glad to be here. So let's talk about something that you're, I mean, you've got your finger squarely on the pulse of, and that is our public hunting. And, and, you know, I've been keeping tabs on other states, you know, throughout this pandemic. Alaska closed all bear seasons, uh, then went back and said it it only applied to non-residents. Montana canceled non-resident bear in turkey michigan isn't allowing motorized boating at all if if you're caught doing that thousand dollar fine kansas non-resident turkey season canceled and there's a litany of other states that have shut down all or um most hunting seasons this spring and and certainly boat ramps i mean even texas has a majority of of public boat ramps closed right now so what what what's your reaction when you see um Your peers, you know, other state wildlife agencies, closing seasons and restricting access to hunting and fishing in a time when I think people need access to it more than ever.
0: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's it's one of these things. I don't think any of us ever dreamed that we would uh, live through a global pandemic like this that really has affected everybody, every walk of life, no Mm -hmm. matter what you do for a living or where you live. Um, And so, you know, I, I look at these at these closures as being uh, you know states trying to try to do the best thing they can for their citizens I don't think anybody wants to do it Um, and and I I certainly can't I certainly can't answer um, for those states um, in in doing what they think is best Um, I can tell you you know the decisions that we've made here in Texas um, have been, I think, very different than what some of these other states have. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's really been, um, working with the guidance that we've been given from the governor's office and from a lot of our, our state and local health officials. Um, and, you know, our, our governor came out recently and said that, you know, hunting and fishing are essential activities for Texans. And, uh, and, and we you know, appreciated them doing that. Absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, you know, we're as, as a state agency, uh, Parks and Wildlife, our number one priority on all of our public hunts is, is going to be to keep our hunters safe and our staff safe. And it, it doesn't matter if, if you know there's a risk of COVID-19 or not. That those are going to be our priorities. And so we've we've taken all this guidance um, from the governor's office and from the CDC, and and we feel that we're able to still provide a safe opportunity for our public hunters on on wildlife management areas at this point. And so we've chosen to keep our our public hunts open, uh, and we worked very hard to do that. And we've had to cancel very few. Um, but we do have some best management practices that we've put in place um, to to make sure that we are limiting the congregation of you know multiple people in one place. And so one of those things that we've done is uh, a lot of turkey hunters are are familiar with our standby hunt process. And uh, if there are, you know, leftover tags that, that haven't been accepted or a hunter calls and says that they're not going to be able to make it, oftentimes our wildlife management areas and sometimes state parks will be able to go ahead and accommodate a standby drawing and they'll have a handful of, of uh, permits that they draw on site.
3: Yeah, so, I did a whitetail um, hunt at the uh, Hill Country um, State natural area is that natural. what it's called
0: yeah, yeah 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 and so it can be really effective for a hunter if they're if they're willing to put that time in to get there
3: yeah um, well I, I actually drew the tag but there were just thinking about it there were like three or four standby hunters that showed up and they all got to hunt
0: yeah yeah and so it can be really effective and your chances of getting drawn in that situation are far better than there would be in the draw mm-hmm. and so uh it's, it's something that a lot of people take advantage of so unfortunately this year we've had to We've had to cancel our standby drawings for the remainder of the season just because that is one of the biggest congregations of people that we have Makes sense, on those yeah. public hunting areas, and so that was one of our um, BMPs that we put in place that uh, we went and canceled standby drawings. But we've honored all the tags that were drawn through the general draw system. Okay. Uh, now a lot of hunters are, are choosing to go ahead and bow out and cancel their hunt. And we're refunding them their money, their permit money, um, if they choose to do that, given the current circumstances. But uh, but we still are are uh, you know offering those hunts, and we just our orientation processes have changed. We're providing plenty of space for people to spread out, and um, and as far as check-in check-out processes are, mm-hmm. are tweaked a little bit, area to area, just to make sure that. You know, we're limiting those, that congregation of people and really kind of trying to sanitize you know, common areas, those kind of things, uh, you know, multiple times a day. So definitely definitely a different uh, different time we're living in. But, but you know, we consider, um, you know, providing access to, to open space and giving people time to get out and hunt uh, to be a pretty important thing. And if we can continue to provide a safe environment, we're, we're trying our best to do it.
3: There's not a lot of just public hunting opportunity where you just go turkey hunting in Texas in the spring um, there are some like you've got uh, Caddo and LBJ grasslands, and right. um, I've hunted at uh, Lake Whitney before. But then you—that's not facilitated through Texas Parks and Wildlife because I remember I had to get a special permit from the maybe it's the Army Corps of Engineers office there.
0: Yeah, so Lake Whitney would be different, but uh, Caddo grasslands um, w- would actually be facilitated through Parks and Wildlife through an annual public hunting permit. Okay. And those areas, um, we have not closed any annual public hunting permit walk in areas. Um, now, the camping on wildlife management areas is currently closed, the overnight camping, and that also applies to U.S. Forest Service owned properties that Parks and Wildlife facilitate the access on, like cattle grasslands. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than the overnight camping, those areas are still open to access with mm-hmm. an annual public hunting permit or a limited public use permit.
3: How do you think the closing of some of these seasons, in state parks, I mean, that probably generates a ton of revenue for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, like, if Alaska's refunding all of the money for non-resident bear tags, I mean, that's got to be a nice chunk of change. So, from from a revenue loss standpoint, will this force state agencies like Texas Parks and Wildlife to, to cut other programs or functions, or is there an emergency fund, or um, how how do you, how does that look you know as far as the future is concerned
0: yeah i i i, I don't know yet uh, i certainly hope not yeah um, you know those that some of these other states that are refunding all the all the permit fees uh, that's a big that's a big loss no doubt about it and um so uh, it's something we're you know from from our perspective we're trying to trying to minimize um uh, as much as we can but but it's a i think it's probably an unfortunate reality for a lot of folks they're going to you know have to kind of maybe tighten the belt a little bit after this is all over and i i hope it's i hope it's over soon
3: yeah well my fear and and, well my hope is that we just we don't see this trickle into fall hunting seasons because then you're talking about significantly more revenue right now it's just i mean let's be honest everyone loves spring bear and turkey seasons but that's not going to generate the income of all the cervids out there, um, whether you're talking about whitetails in Texas or, uh, elk or, uh, mule deer out West, you know, it just isn't. Yeah. Yeah, so.
0: definitely. It's, uh, you know, those spring turkey tags are, are definitely a lot more affordable. Yeah. In a lot of places, uh, yeah. than an elk tag or something like that, I know I had a Nebraska, uh, I was planning on doing a Nebraska turkey hunt this spring. Well, not
3: now. I'm actually
0: scheduled to leave here in a couple days, but not now. Yeah. But I, I it, it's, um, uh, Everybody's got to do what they think is best uh, for their citizens' health, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to attempt to, you know, answer for for other states.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, President Trump recently announced the plan to open up 2.3 million acres of wildlife refuge to public hunting and fishing. Yeah. How do you see that affecting Texas? And do you think it's a good thing? And and some people, and, you know, I put this out there on uh, Instagram, and their responses were varied. Uh, some folks were like, no, these animals need sanctuaries. I'm like, people can still access these places. It's not like you can't go hiking or, in a lot of cases, camping in there. It's not like these animals still don't get human interaction. And if we as hunters can help manage the population, well, then that's conservation, and I don't care if it's on a, a refuge or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I think all things considered, Parks and Wildlife is a, is a big fan of the expansion mm-hmm. um, from a from a hunting and fishing access standpoint. You know, in a state like Texas, uh, you know very well. I mean, it's 95 percent plus privately owned, and so public hunting opportunities are pretty limited. Um, so any kind of expansion of major acreage like that is, is going to be a big help for for the normal everyday Texas hunter. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I personally see it as a, as a very good move. And while I can't provide, you know, all the details of what exactly that expansion would look like, um, I, I would tell you that Texas hunters will see uh, a noticeable expansion, um, as early as this next hunting season. So I think, um, they're in the proposal process right now. So if people, you know, if people are interested, they can get online and start searching some of these refuges right now, um, that are that are currently available for public hunting and they will see that there's a comment period open for a handful of them for expanded access. And mm. so um, that that will hopefully, you know, if things go the way that, that they're uh, planning, um, that will translate into more uh, more permits and more areas uh, here in the coming seasons.
3: Yeah, I, I heard, and I don't know if there's any validity to it, but um, likely more alligator hunting opportunity would be one thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's probably true.
3: Yeah. Interesting stuff. I tell you, we live in uh, crazy times, but that is, and, and kudos, you know, to the uh, president's office for uh, doing something positive, completely unrelated to COVID-19 while we're in the midst of this pandemic. It was like, wow, okay. Glad to see that things are still <laughs> functioning um, in other aspects of, of life as well. So.
0: Yeah, it's nice to hear some good news for a change. Um,
3: mm-hmm.
0: that, that's um, for sure.
3: Online tags. That's, so I had a lease in Oklahoma for four or five years, and my question is, as we're kind of wrapping up here, do you think Texas Parks and Wildlife will ever go to just, you know, checking in your buck or your turkey directly on the Internet?
0: I can tell you that it gets discussed, um, the the kind of the application and how much validity it has to it. Um, it, it gets discussed often um i don't know what kind of timeline or, or if it will happen at some what's point, the major concern
3: on do? your end because as the consumer that's you know i shot a buck in oklahoma okay i have 24 hours to check it in but what if i don't ever check it in you know i mean i'm not saying that hunters think like that but uh there are some people i would call them more poachers uh, if they did not check their animal in but is that, is that why? Because there's no physical tag you actually have to put on the animal?
0: I, you know, I think that's probably a, a part of the concern. Uh, it's just a, it's a, huge, it's a huge leap, um, just mentally, I yeah. think, um, trying to get people on board with it. Uh, but when you, look at the, when you look at the benefit of the data that the department would have access to on actual real harvest data um, and not have to depend on postseason surveys, uh, it's, it's a game-changer. Because um, you're actually getting, you know, real harvest data rather than kind of after the fact, try to remember what, how your season went. You know?
3: Yeah. Oh, so definitely been a, a beneficial aspect to the online system there. Which.
0: Yeah. And I've been, I've been in other states and I, I, I was on a Kentucky whitetail hunt um, a handful of years ago. And uh, there was a guy in camp that, that took a buck, entered his buck online. And so, you know, I was over his shoulder the whole time watching it. And it was really a pretty neat pretty neat system, and um, he was able to get his data in very quickly, and um, I thought it was a pretty slick system, for sure.
3: Yeah. I get, my only concern was, so where I was in Oklahoma, like, the internet, acts, or like just cell coverage was, was terrible. And so if you don't leave your lease, you still, you have to drive somewhere with, uh, you're going to have to drive somewhere to get cell coverage to check it in online. That's what I ended up having to do. Uh, to make sure that I complied within that 24 hour period. But that wasn't right, one thing. Right. That, um...
0: And there's, there's some pretty cool technology. Have you, um, have you seen our new electronic on-site registration for our public hunting areas? Mm-hmm. So, uh, this last year, this, this was actually our first season to use it. So we added a cool feature into our my hunt harvest application uh-huh. that you can, it's a free download, um, for iPhones and Androids. Um, And it actually, you can go in and report harvest. And so that's how we've been doing our mandatory eastern turkey harvest. Okay. But um, cool, starting this year, you're able to go in, if you have an annual public hunting permit, you can go in and say you go to the dove hunting area down the street, instead of having to do your paper on-site registration where you drop a, you know, you drop a card in saying you're there, and then you drop the second part of the card in on the way out saying how many doves you shot.
3: Done it okay, many do times for duck hunting. Online. To be honest with you, what's that? I've done it many times on Caddo for uh, for duck okay. hunting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so now you can roll in, cl- basically click a button, say that you're there. Um, on the way out, you'll be prompted to sign out, and you'll get the short little survey at the end. That's like five or six questions: how many birds you shoot, how many you see. That's you cool. That and the other, and that information is compiled real time and so we're able to keep kind of a running total on usage of all these areas Mm -hmm. um, harvest data all that kind of stuff and then you're able to download um, a geo-referenced pdf map on your phone and actually follow yourself around on the area too so i mean there's a added safety and convenience measure for for public hunters as well and so uh, we're, we're really excited about it so the reason i ended up bringing that up is you know one of the constant concerns is well what if i don't have service well the cool thing is when you sign in, you can do, you can get all the functionality out of that app, even without service. Mm. And mm. it will go ahead and register you on your phone. So if the game warden comes by and says, Hey, did you register? You can show him your phone that says, well, cable signed in at, you know, eight And he said, okay, well, you're good. what well, may not have uploaded to our system yet, it may not be on the game warden's computer, but it shows on your phone. And then when you hit service again, it'll automatically upload. So that, you've you've gone ahead and complied with the law um, but it gets uploaded when you get to service so it's pretty cool pretty cool feature and it's and it's been really good and people have we've had more sign-ins this year with roughly the same number of annual public hunting permits sold um, just because of the just the
3: The ease of
0: functionality
3: yeah convenience well very cool well, Justin, man, I, I certainly appreciate the time today. I know we've kind of been all over the map, but uh, some interesting conversation for sure. And the Trump administration's decision to open up these refuges, I look forward to seeing the impact of that here uh, in Texas and and nationally. I mean, there's going to be a lot of places that are getting some new foot traffic from, from hunters, and I think that's the way God intended it. He wants us to be out there enjoying those things, so uh, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, it's it's a cool thing having more public land access in the state of Texas. That's for sure. So, yep, I I, uh, I applaud the administration for for making that a priority, and and uh, I, I think Texas hunters are going to see some some major improvement here over the next few years. So I'm excited about
3: it. Very cool. Well, I appreciate it, Justin. Uh, happy quarantining, and hopefully, uh,
1: we'll all be back to
3: normal here in the very near future.
0: Yeah, I hope so. All right, thanks, Cable. Enjoy the visit.
1: So there he goes, TPWD's Justin on um, That segment of the presentation was proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders Dam Fish Feeder. Here's what you do. You put your dam feeder on your dam dam, and you feed your damn fish. It's the All Seasons Dam Fish Feeder. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock, man, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Justin as well as our other guest today, Jared Ballard of West Virginia certainly want to thank all of our sponsors for making this show possible we wouldn't be here without their support and uh, we wouldn't be here if you guys didn't tune in so thanks for checking out the show we'll do it again same time same place next week until then I'm Cable Smith saying there's no place better to practice social distancing than a great outdoors y'all have a great week unbroken horses unbroken hearts